this up. And my wife caught me. And at this point, we'd been married 20 years. And she said the words that saved my life. She said, I'm done. She said, I still love you, but I don't like you. I don't trust you. I don't respect you. And I don't think you can ever change. Wow. Uh, and I'm not alone. We're told that four out of five guys who seek help for sexually compulsive behavior only do so after receiving an ultimatum from a wife or a girlfriend. I'm one of the four. Mm. It, it was in a desperate attempt to save the only adult friendship I had at that point. Yo, what is going down on my brothers from other mothers around the world? Thank you so much for taking time to tune in and listen to the Grizz podcast. I am so glad that you're here. I really believe that this episode is going to be a huge blessing in your life. What you're about to hear is part two of my interview with Nate Larkin, the pirate monk. Nate is an author the founder of the Samson Society. He is also one of the hosts of the Pirate Monk podcast and also the Positive Sobriety podcast. Here on the Grizz podcast, Nate is sharing his story of how he went from porn addiction to prostitutes to his wife becoming clinically depressed due to their failing marriage. And all of that, by the way, while he was serving in pastoral ministry. But, as you just heard, his wife eventually catches him. The truth comes out, and she's done with him. That crisis was one of the best things that ever happened to him. Listen, guys, I highly recommend that you get your journal You get your pen as you listen to this because Nate drops some incredible godly wisdom here in the second part of this interview that's going to help you in your own journey as a man who's striving to follow Christ. He's been through it, guys. He's been through it. It's been hard, but... This is the part of the interview, this this right here, part two, that really shows off not how amazing Nate is, but how amazing the grace of God is. This is where there's a turning point. Nate begins his journey to recovery, and it's really important that you understand what that looks like and how that journey of recovery growth, healing, transformation, all of that, it doesn't take place apart from community, like a tribe, a brotherhood. That's what he had been missing for decades of his life, and that's why he stayed in bondage. He had to come clean, he had to get real, but you don't do that in isolation, You've got to have community, a tribe, a brotherhood that's going to be like a safe place 
for you to find all those things. Anyway, here we go. Oh, yeah. You're listening to the Grizz Podcast, where our mission is to help boys become men and to help men become better men. It's going to be raw. It's going to be real. And it's going to be relevant. Now, here's your host, Jason George. I'm your huckleberry. Age 42, we'd finally left South Florida, and uh, and my wife caught me. And at this point, and we're, we'd been married 20 years, and she said the words that saved my life. She said, I'm done. Mm. She said, I still love you, but I don't like you. I don't trust you. I don't respect you, and I don't think you can ever change. Wow. Uh, and I'm not alone. We're told that four out of five guys who seek help for sexually compulsive behavior only do so after receiving an ultimatum from a wife or a girlfriend. I'm one of the four. Mm. It, it was in a desperate attempt to save the only adult friendship I had at that point that I, you know, I went, you know, I went back to the Internet by then, of course, internet porn had snagged me. Uh, and I, this was pre-Google days. I went to the Alta Vista search engine mm-hmm. and typed, typed sex addiction Nashville and found to my astonishment that we'd apparently moved to the center of the universe for sex addiction recovery. <laughs> and there were, there were, there were 12 step groups, there were therapists and I made my first phone call. And uh, later that night, drove to my first 12-step meeting, although I didn't even have the courage to go inside that first week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sat in the parking lot and uh, and eventually drove away. But a week later, I was back. But your wife is gone at this point. She didn't. She Here's what she said. She said, uh, I'm going to find my own life. I'm going to find my own satisfaction. I'm not looking at you anymore. We were still in the same house. Okay. But... Uh, and uh, she, I, at this point, I, I don't know what her alternatives were to physically leave, but she was emotionally gone. She had disconnected. And uh, yeah, we were headed for uh, separation and divorce, but we were still in the same house. Okay. Um, and at that point, all my promises to change didn't mean anything. I'd been making promises for 20 years. I'd been writing cat, you know, I've been writing checks I couldn't cover when it came to repentance. And she knew that. And, and no matter how sincere my desire to change, which is why, you know, I found hope in the basement of that church when I finally went downstairs. It was I I, I I'd grown up in church and never been in a room that safe. I had never heard that level of honesty, that transparent, never, never been around that much humility, never felt that much empathy, never felt that much love, actually. Mm. As I did. How many guys were there? uh, Eight guys, maybe. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, it only takes a few that start getting real. Yeah, exactly. So here we are, you know, in the basement of the church in the middle of the week while all the good people are gone. And I felt Jesus there like I'd never felt him upstairs. Mm. Even though we never uttered his name, it was a 12, <laughs> just referred to him as a higher power. Right. Which, by the way, <laughs> is, uh, it took me a couple of years to actually experience sexual sobriety, to actually surrender. Uh, and that was because of my intellectual and spiritual uh, pride, my sense of superiority. I actually concluded shortly that God had probably sent me there as a missionary mm. uh, because uh, I knew that my higher power could beat up their higher power. And so I was going to convince everybody to become a Christian uh, as I understood Christianity. Uh, uh, it was so arrogant. I yeah. didn't, you know, <laughs> Because yeah, you know, I had a master's degree in God. So, right. you know, that, so I really thought that I could teach these poor, you know, uh, benighted souls. You know, I was there as some source of spiritual illumination. When you say that, yeah. it makes me think of uh, something that I realized as I was going through and still am going through rec- recovery for the rest of my life. But yeah, when you finally get real about it and you start the process of recovery, you find that porn addiction is only like this top layer and there's all this other just filthy, dirty, shameful, just look at me like, yeah, this is embarrassing. And go ahead. Yeah. I mean, it's the residue of my sin and the sin of others against me. Right. Mm -hmm. So I live in a broken world. I have been sinned against. And I have sinned. I have, I have responded to trauma in maladaptive ways and dug, you know, trenches for myself in the wrong direction, trying to find some protection. I have found a way to survive emotionally, but, but, but uh, barely, and have put myself in a very bad position. Uh, I was stunned when my first sponsor said. You know, after listening to my first step, he said, Nate, you know what your biggest problem is? He said, your biggest problem is you think sex is your problem. Mm. Uh, I, 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 he said, well, sex obviously is a problem. It's a big problem. You have to stop what you're doing. You can't stop on your own. God's going to have to do it. He'll probably use us in the process. But if you think that just stopping that behavior is going to fix you, make you happy, you are crazy. That's good. He said, If anything, he said, if you somehow miraculously manage by your own force of will to stop this behavior and nothing else changes, you will become more miserable and more miserable to be around than you are today. Mm -hmm. Because he said, sex isn't your problem. Sex is your favorite solution. Mm. It's the medication that you have been using all these years to numb the pain caused by your deeper problems which by the way are common to man. So he said, look, I am not volunteering to be your accountability partner. We're not going to have conversations just so that you can tell me whether or not you looked at porn and masturbated or hired a prostitute or went to a strip club or a massage parlor or whatever else you might've been doing. That's not off limits. Certainly that's part of the conversation. He said, but we have bigger fish to fry. Mm -hmm. We've got to talk about pride Self-pity, self-centeredness, <laughs> uh, unbelief, 
fear, anger, resentment. We got to talk about trauma. Mm. You, he said, you have a lot more healing and a lot more repenting to do than you know. Mm. And and this is why, to be honest, Jason, I am so glad that God didn't answer my prayer and miraculously remove the addiction from me. Mm-hmm. Today, my addiction is the biggest lever in my life. It's the only lever big enough to force me out of isolation and into honest relationship with other members of the body of Christ. Mm. I have friends today because that's the only way I can stay sane and sober. I have been forced by my addiction to join the human race. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Yeah. And it's funny because back what you said a few minutes ago, when you were in, you were still in the thick of your addiction but at your church, when guys did open up, you were more doing church discipline upon them, right. which right. wasn't appropriate because here's a guy saying, it's not just that I'm caught, I need help. And yeah. it made me think of Galatians 6, where it says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness but keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So when you were saying that, I was thinking of this passage, how you guys were thinking you're something when you're nothing, and you're right. not saying, whoa, that was a heavy thing to like get off your shoulders right there, and we're going yeah. to help you carry that. And I understand what that's like. I not only have been part of that where I feel like I've watched people do it, but I feel like I've done that too in the past. And I'm like, I I didn't offer to say, let me help you with this. And I think that I had the view like, well, you just need to repent. And there was no understanding of repentance as a journey, a process. Healing takes time. So... Man, it's all good stuff, everything you're saying. I was going to ask you, though, yeah. um, your wife was instrumental in yeah. starting the recovery process because of the ultimatum. You go to the 12-step group. The first time you're there, you are you just sit in the parking lot. You're like, I, I don't even know if I can go in. I want guys to hear that again, um, that fact, because I think that some of them have done that or they went in and they're like, this is weird. I don't know what they're doing. I didn't feel like I fit. But you yeah. didn't give up. You're like, and, and I remember going to one Celebrate Recovery, and it was weird. And I was like, yeah. this isn't it. But I kept searching for where I do fit. Now, if every yeah. place you go, you don't fit, you're the problem. Yeah, yeah. So talk about that a yeah. little, man. Well, I do see this phenomenon a lot. So today I'm, I'm part of something called the Samson Society and we have online meetings. Uh, and the only way you can get into the online community is to first go to a newcomer meeting, which is kind of like a two-way interview where we find out how, whether you're there for your own recovery uh, and you know you get to find out what we're about. So we do a newcomer meeting every day. So on average, eight to 10 guys a day sign up for the newcomer meeting. On average, three to four of those guys actually make it to the meeting. Mm. (laughs) Uh, And sometimes fewer than that. 
because no sooner do you, you know, you, we recognize that we need help. We get to that point of desperation and go, oh, I got something. we ask for help. Then somehow just the asking gives us enough relief that we don't follow through. Uh, and so by making a decision to do something, I've actually done it. And there's this other voice that immediately starts talking to us that says, now, you know what? You, you almost got this. You can figure this out. You mm. can do it on your own. <laughs> and I believe that's our ancient, ancient enemy who wants to keep us trapped forever in a game of one-on-one. And he is the master of that game. He is only lost at one-on-one once mm. in an epic 40-day battle in the desert. That's right. All right? right? That's right. But, but, but he will toy with us forever. He'll let us... He'll give us small victories to convince us that that next time we can beat him, and yeah. we're outmatched. He's he's seen us millions of times. Yeah, but he's so are- crafty. And I was just talking to some guys in a group I lead, and I was like, one of the yeah. other things that's even almost as crafty is me. That sinful yeah. flesh side. How much I can rationalize or deceive myself or talk myself out of something. And I was doing the same thing. I would not commit to a group where I was going to know others and be known. But now, once you finally realize you're in it and you are safe, they're there to help and you confess relapses and it's like, we're still here, Jay, let's work through them together. I can't imagine, like you're saying, my life without my group, my tribe. I I won't do it without it. And I've just got this mentality, like till the day I die, I don't care how much quote unquote sobriety I have under my belt. I need this. I don't want to do it without it. Recovery not only saved my marriage, you know, my wife was, you know, very careful and kept her emotional distance for, I slept in a closet for a couple of years. Uh, And we, you know, we slowly built, rebuilt friendship. And as she began over time to see the character change as healing began to happen, finally got my feet under me with sobriety, got humble enough to actually make the emotional and spiritual decision to join the group, right? Just become another bozo on the bus. I'd always been willing to be a helper, but never willing to ask for help. Mm. Uh, How about that heart attack thing that you found yourself, but it was just stress. Had that happened yet? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That had happened. Yeah. That had happened before I quit the ministry. Was that? Yeah. Okay. So that was before even your wife caught you and she gave you the ultimatum. Oh yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, All right, go ahead, man. Sorry. Yeah. So, um, but this really turned into a a spiritual rebirth. I will tell you that as I encountered grace in those rooms Mm -hmm. and found healing in those rooms and I got more than teaching, I'd grown up around teaching Mm -hmm. and I'd become a teacher. Mm -hmm. I'd never, I'd never had coaching before. Hmm. I'd never had somebody just walk beside me and not be the expert, but just be a fellow traveler with maybe a little more experience than me. Um, so as those changes began to happen, the Bible became a different book to me. I It opened doors and windows on the gospel I had never seen. I had always read the Bible through a moralistic, legalistic lens. Now, looking at it through a loving, gracious lens, everything changed. Also, uh, 
you know, week after week, day after day, you know, mm-hmm. in, tw- in the in 12 step world, you know, one piece of wisdom is that if you're coming off a relapse or if you're just first finding your feet in recovery, your best strategy is 90 meetings in 90 days. 90 and 90 is what they say. Really? Every day? Yeah. It's funny now, you that say that because a- I heard our interview recently on the Tim Ferriss podcast, who's not a believer. The guy mm-hmm. he's interviewing yeah. is a porn addict. Um, but yeah. like, I think he's like a multi-billionaire or something, but yeah. he said when he got in his, um, essay group yeah, that it was not once a week. It wasn't even twice a week. It was the same kind of thing. He was like, I needed, I needed that tribe daily. And he's yeah. like, I just clung to that. And I hear that even with my friends that have gone to AA and NA that, yeah, yeah. uh, that's how they got to start. That's good, man. Yeah. 90 and 90. Now that involved, uh, a uh, 40 minute drive because the closest meeting, uh, there was only one meeting a week in our town. So I had to drive up into Nashville to get to a meeting every day. Uh, But as I became willing to do that, you know, these days, thank God in the world of zoom now uh, it's very easy uh, in Samson society, for example, to do a meeting a day. There's multiple meetings every day. Our goal is to have at least one meeting every hour of every day. So you can always get to a meeting. So I don't have to hold my breath for a week. I don't, you're right. Yes. Okay. So as I'm doing, I'm doing my 90 and 90. I'm getting coaching. I'm going through the steps. I'm doing the fearless moral inventory. A uh, turning point for my wife was uh, uh, step four in, in the 12 steps is this fearless moral inventory, right? Where we're, we're actually taking, we're assessing our strengths and our weaknesses. Okay. Our character defects is part of the language. Uh, and I remember I had always been very defensive around my wife. And, and that's really just the flip side of pride, right? So uh, any criticism, and I would just, I'd never yelled or never hit her. Although she told me later, she was always afraid I was going to hit her. She could sense this repressed anger just pulsing beneath the surface. And it was anger and fear really that was driving most of my behavior. And I was completely unaware of it. My wife said the same thing to me. I've never hit her, but there were times where she's like, I always feared it. And man, that like was crushing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. What do you mean? I mean, I don't even raise my voice. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause I was completely detached from anger, completely detached from fear uh, and trying to live from the neck up. I'd completely, so I was doing irrational things for non-rational reasons, trying to solve the problem by rational means. That was my <laughs> dilemma, you know, as a smart guy yeah. and thinking that I could think my way to recovery. Smart guys are the worst, my, man. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I remember my first, my first sponsor saying, you've been trying to think your way to right acting. I'm going to show you how to act your way to right thinking. That's good. Okay. Uh, but I anyway, give you a growl for that one. That's yeah. Good. Yeah. I sat down with my, I'm a porch. I, I told my wife, I'm doing this, this inventory and I have to list my defects. And I said, uh, I could use your help. Can you, and she's looking at me like, Oh, I'm not, you're not going to sucker me into this. Right. Right. Yeah. So she very cautiously suggests, you know, was she just thinking if I start telling you 
I'm just going to tick you off. I'm going to light your right, feet. Right, exactly. Okay, gotcha. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Or, or, and you're going to, you won't blow up, but you'll retreat or you'll rationalize or you'll turn it around on me. Okay. Or, that's what I'd always done, right? And so she, you know, very tentatively says the first one. I go, hmm. and I write it. That's interesting. Tell me more. And she tells me a little more and I write it down. And it took all of, you know, I had a hard time doing it, but I knew what to do. I knew how to listen. I knew how to take it in. Uh, she eventually got pretty enthusiastic about that uh, whole uh, project. Uh, <laughs> I think that my wife's the same way, man. Like, yep. she's like, do you really want to know what you need to work on? Oh yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Okay, here we go. <laughs> but that was the, that's when she started to think, Hey, maybe this is real. Mm, that's good. She, she had no faith that I would stick to recovery and I didn't either. I've never stuck to anything in my life, but recovery stuck to me. It was, uh, and I think the biggest thing was in these meetings day after day, as I spoke out loud, what I was doing and, and instead of pulling away, guys leaned in and it was a shame free persona free environment. Mm -hmm. I began to lose shame. That's the best shame reduction exercise I know. And as I did, shame causes us to hide. That's what we do, mm -hmm. right? We hide, we cover up in shame. We distance ourselves from others. And I have since come to believe that the opposite of addiction is connection. Yes. Uh, Johan okay, Har Harry or whatever. Uh, there it is. Yep, right. right. But, but it's shame that prevents connection. Shame says you can't connect. You will be rejected. You have to hide. So as I, as I started to come out of hiding, as I began in biblical language to walk in the light as he is in the light. I found that I could have fellowship, as it says in John, First uh, John. First John, uh, yeah, uh, man. Yeah, right. So we walk in the light. He's in the light. We have fellowship with one another, real fellowship. Yeah, but like uh, you know crap. what? I want to stop right there because yeah, I thought uh, that this whole "I'm going to walk in the light" is more. <laughs> I was treating it like positional. Like we know right. that we're in the light positionally with what we learn theologically. Yeah, but yeah. that passage is really about walking in the light practically, living a life of truth, pursuing truth, authenticity. I wasn't yeah. walking in light, and that's what you're saying. You're learning to do that. Right, right, right. I thought that light was walking in the light meant walking sinlessly. That's oh, okay. All. So perfectionism. Yeah, I grew up in in in, in a tradition of. Christian perfectionism and the holiness tradition. Yeah, right? yeah. So, so I was taught that That's you know my point. primary responsibility as a Christian was not to sin and never to bring shame upon the name of Jesus, to live the holy life. And if I sinned, God instantly disappeared because God can't be around sin, is what I was taught. Wow. So until I repent sincerely and eliminate sin from my life, God's going to be at a distance. Well, that's, that's pernicious. It absolutely is. Uh, it's corrosive to any kind of authenticity. It's corrosive to faith. And it leads inexorably either to delusion or hypocrisy. Yep. The, the only thing 
I've tried to help guys understand that kind of goes with that, that I don't want them to misinterpret. As I say, if you're a genuine believer and you're harboring sin, picture a ship that's like, I'm docked up. We're not just here for a pit stop, but they're harboring it and they're not willing to say, humble themselves and say, God, I need help and I'm willing to get help. God is, they never break their relationship with God. Can they hinder fellowship, like clog the pipes where it's like, man, I don't feel like I'm walking deeply with God, experiencing him. Yes, if you're harboring it, if you're not going to come clean about it. But even the dude that is saying, I've had relapse after relapse, every single week I'm falling. I've still in my life and seen in others' lives that they are experiencing a nearness to God like they've never felt because they are coming clean. They're being real about it. There's no more hiding. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take, let's take, let's take the apostle Paul again as an example. That passage in Romans chapter seven, where he's saying the thing I don't want to do, a thing I want to do, I can't do a thing I don't want to do. I can't stop doing. He's near the end of his career. He is the premier apostle Mm. unequaled. And he's saying, yeah, that's right. Cause talking, Romans was one of the last letters he wrote. Right. He's still talking about his sin in the present tense. And he is saying over and over again to the Romans, as he did to the Galatians, as he's to everybody else, is that my relationship with God is based on a righteousness that is not my own. Mm. Right? That's right. So I live by faith. So I don't have to hide my sin. At the, he's calling at the very end, he's calling himself the chief of sinners. Yeah. And Jesus and says, what, I'm near to the brokenhearted. So when you're broken right. over your sin, he will come near and he'll walk with you through that. It's the proud, what? arrogant, I'm good, yeah. I'm good, that I'm like, okay, buddy, good luck when getting I, close to God. Yeah, when I first started recovery, I thought that my, that aside from my crazy sexual behavior, I was pretty well, pretty good guy. Mm. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> I had every, every, I had every, I had all the other Christian virtues pretty well buttoned down, I thought. Mm. Right? So, Here's the thing. The farther I go on this journey, the more aware of my sin, my brokenness I become. But here's the beauty. The greater my sin, the greater the greater the cross. Amen. The greater my forgiveness. Yes. The greater my gratitude, the greater my joy. It becomes the good news becomes better. Mm. The more aware I am of my need for the gospel, my need for forgiveness. Mm. And and as I become less defensive, here's what I've noticed. <laughs> when I talk about my sin in the present tense, I become the safest guy in the room. Hmm. And people now confide in me. They tell me things they never told me when I was bright and shiny Saint Nate, hmm. when I was the pastor. When the guy who when I was the guy who only talked in code and talked about his failures only in the past tense. That's so true, man. Like I see that when I'm even listening to a sermon, I'll watch I, I study speakers and I, I look at crowds and I watch is he capturing them? When he's telling a story of success or how awesome his family is, he's got some of the audience. The moment I see a guy talk about a failure, a fall, a slip, I can't stand myself sometimes. 
I watch heads, even teenagers that are on their phone, like, oh, they just look up. Sure. It's so true. Yeah. Because we relate yeah. more to that. <laughs> yeah. Than victory, yeah. success. I'm the champion. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, man. So I, I don't know where we were, Jay, in the story, but oh, yeah. So uh, I will tell you this. As I, as I, uh, as the shame began to dissipate. Yeah. As I, I became more open. So I went to my pastor at this church that we joined. Okay. And, and uh, told him my story. Um, I had promised my wife that I would not make any kind of a public confession. She was terrified that because there's so much stigma around sex addiction, porn addiction, that we would lose all friends. It was humiliator. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, and I've always, uh, th- someone told me years ago, and I believe it, public sin that would have been like, well, people in the church are already talking, it would require public confession, private sin, private confession, unless you were a pastor of the church and you're like, hey, I've, I've got to come clean about this and step down. I was with mm-hmm. the prostitute. So that's different. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Sure. Okay. So you, she didn't want to be humiliated. I get right. it. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, but I told my pastor and I said, you know, here's my phone number. If I can help anybody. Okay. Uh, give him the phone. So my phone started to ring. Wow. And, and then as I began, so I would tell my story to those guys selectively. And then due to them, do I would just say what my sponsor said to me, look, if you want, I'll walk with you a while. We'll walk together. I'm on a journey. You want to join me? We'll walk together. So, Love it. So eventually I'm walking with a dozen guys. You're not even all saying us, I have all the answers. You're just saying, no, I'll walk with you. <laughs> no. Now, and here's what I found. I would always try to take these guys to uh, 12-step groups. And some of them fit. Some of them connected. Some of them didn't. It just, they, they it, it, it didn't match. It didn't work for them. Yeah. Partly because the Christian language wasn't there. Okay. Right. Oh, they were talking Christianese. <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I know the type. So, um, and I also began, there were guys who would confess stuff to me that wasn't sexual. Mm. But by then I already, because there were so few SA meetings back then, when I was traveling and needed to go to a meeting, I would go to an AA meeting. And, and listen to drunks talk sense to each other. And I came to realize that all of us share this inner architecture mm. that, you know, you know, our drug of choice is different, but the problems that are, are essentially ah, the same. So good. And the path to healing is the same. So, um, you know, so eventually at the urging of my wife, who she spotted the, the, this was an emerging problem. It was an emerging threat. So here's the thing. I'm telling these guys, you call me every day. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm helping, I'm watching, I'm coaching, I'm confessing. We're doing this thing together. I got a dozen guys. I'm very busy. I'm doing really well. I got good, solid sobriety, but it's consuming my life. And uh, so one day after we'd been, I'd taken my wife out to dinner and no sooner had the food arrived than the phone rang and I got up and, you know, and it's a guy is in distress and I come back 20 minutes later and the food's cold and my wife's hot and it's, uh, mm. and, and, uh, and I said, look, I don't, you got to understand I'm, this is what's helping me. I'm doing good. Right. She goes, yeah, you're doing well. And, and it's because I'm, I'm, I'm getting the phone calls. I do this. It helps me. And what helps me helps us. And this is good. You know? So she goes, I get it. 
She goes, um, you make a phone call, it helps you. You get a phone call, it helps you, right? I said, right. And you got a dozen guys who were calling you, right? I said, right. She goes, do these guys know each other? I said, well, um, I don't know. Like, uh, Oh, she was pulling that Moses Jethro thing, wasn't she? You're doing yeah. too much on your own. Yeah, okay. she goes, uh, she goes uh, <laughs> they're making phone calls. Are any of those guys getting phone calls? Mm. I said, uh. she goes, here's what I see. She said, you're making yourself the center of the universe again. You Messiah complex. Knows, you're the Messiah. I have, I have messianic ambitions, right? Got it. So uh, it was at her urging and suggestion that we started the Samson Society uh, as a as a group for Christian men, it's not a group for sex addicts, although sex addicts are welcome, and we uh, are by far in the majority. But uh, we don't segregate by sin, so we anybody can come to to Samson for anything. So these days we got guys in Samson, you know, who come because of a of a, a battle with drugs or alcohol, or uh, and the way they're primarily coming gaming. is not physically but online. Uh, yeah, both. Now, uh, there are local meetings. We did put out a book in 2007 called Samson and the Pirate Monks, where we kind of laid out the program. I told my story and some other guys contributed theirs. And we were hoping to inspire other guys to to do something like what we were doing. Since then, about 500 local groups have started. Wow. But uh, it became apparent to us by the time we had 10,000 guys on the website that a lot of those guys and perhaps even most of those guys were not in a meeting. Uh, that's because there wasn't one close to them. They couldn't start one for one reason or another, whatever. That's when uh, we took the step to start the online meetings. Mm. And since then it's, it's, uh, it's really taken off. So already we've only been doing the online meetings for less than three years. There's already meetings in six languages. Uh, Jeez. Uh, I'll be doing uh, next month, I'll be doing back-to-back Samson retreats in Italy. The book's been uh, translated into Italian uh, because it's a, you know, this is a global problem, which is also a global opportunity. Yeah. I believe, I believe that the, that the tsunami of pornography and the destruction that it is wreaking through an entire generation creates an unparalleled opportunity for the gospel because people are more aware than ever of their desperate need. Life becomes so empty so quickly. It drives men and women into isolation and into shame away from true connection. And, and we, if we can offer safe Christian community, and the gospel in stripped down form is what it really is, you know, without all kinds of you know, yeah. huge, enormous doctrinal superstructure that you've got to buy to get in. Yeah. Right. Uh, we can we can save an awful lot of lives. The core of the Samson Society is not the meetings. The meetings are great. You can get sober from anything going to meetings. Our experience, though, is that you can't stay sober just going to meetings. Uh, which is why Samson really lives between the meetings in friendships. So we believe that Christianity properly understood as a team sport, not an individual event. You start going to meetings 
you you get to know people, people get to know you. Eventually you have a team of guys who know you, who can have your back. There's always going to be a lead guy on your team. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some ways equivalent to the sponsor in 12-step recovery, although it's there are some differences. We call that guy a Silas. Okay. Paul had a Silas, yeah. right? So the Silas is the guy that you are in regular contact with, ideally daily contact with. He gets to know your story. He gets to know your life. He gets to know your dreams, your hopes, your failures, your habits, your patterns. Um, uh, He's the guy who uh, remembers the things you tend to forget, Mm -hmm. maybe ask the questions you tend to avoid might pick up on a pattern you haven't seen. Mostly what he's going to do is remind you who you really are, right? And here's the thing. He benefits at least as much from this relationship as you do. Mm. We are all helped by helping, right? All of us need to get out of our own self-centered, self-absorbed lives for a few minutes each day to care about somebody else. So there is reciprocal benefit to the relationship. Mm -hmm. So um, I am Silas to five guys. Um, at one point I had 16, uh, four more than Jesus. That was a big mistake. Mm. Uh, uh, I've since learned that my sane limit is five. So I take daily phone calls. I have a silence. I'm, I am in regular contact with my Silas. I have, uh, the way I do it is I have a one hour conversation with each of my guys each day, Mm. Monday, Monday through Friday. Saturday, I do the newcomer meeting and Sunday I'm in church with my wife. Wait a sec. So if there's five guys that you're a Silas to, you do a one hour meeting with them every day? Uh, Each guy. So I got a Monday guy, a Tuesday guy, a Wednesday guy, a Thursday guy. So once per week, they get you undivided. Right. Right. For an hour. Got it. Now we used to, we used to live, when I lived in Franklin, uh, we would walk through the town of Franklin. Some of them lived in Franklin. Some of them lived in Nashville. They'd make the drive down. Now I've moved farther away. So, but what, what we learned during the pandemic was <laughs> we could talk on the phone and walk. So I still walk mm-hmm. and they walk and we still have the conversation, even though we're not in the same town. Yep. Now I'm about to uh, launch a new meeting down here close to where I live now and I'll probably transition some of the guys I'm a Silas to now and, you know, ask them to find another Silas and Silas other guys. And I'll build a new network down here over time, I hope. Yeah. But some of these guys I've been walking with seven, eight years. Mm. And I get current with them. It's not a mentor relationship. I'm not a guru. I like to describe the Silas as he's another idiot walking in the same direction, right? (laughs) We trust, we trust that when two or three of us are gathered in his name, Jesus is present. Yeah. We try. Yeah. Okay. So I have an honest conversation. That's a two way conversation with at least one guy every day. That helps me by the way, break the ice and get honest with my wife and keep her in the loop. Although she doesn't have to hear all of the dirty, nasty details, right? Mm-hmm. See, she's my best friend, but she doesn't have the burden of being my only friend. Yeah. Which gives her a feeling of safety and strengthens our relationship. Yeah, I've never liked when guys say my wife is my accountability partner. I no. Don't, I don't like it. 
It can create that unhealthy, almost like she's more mom than wife. Yeah, yeah. And it's not good for her either. It's not good for her. Although some women, I mean, they want that because it gives them a sense of safety and control. And then they kind of take it, they take responsibility for managing their husband's sobriety. And then that, that, that goes to resentment, all kinds of bad things. So I'm not, my wife and I have a deal. She will always get an honest answer to a direct question. Mm. Um, But I'm never going to surprise her with, uh, you know, an unsolicited confession. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. Uh, Makes sense. So be with Samson society, everything you've got going on there with um, the groups walking with guys, helping them journeying with them and helping them develop. You're also teaching at times if there is a retreat and you're also part of, you have this podcast. Tell the guys about that, what you're doing there. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got the pirate monk podcast, which has been going now for gosh, I don't know, 10, 12 years uh, where we try to uh, interview, just have conversations with other people who are on the recovery journey. Now, is that just does, audio or is there a YouTube yeah. channel where you're watching anything video wise? No, no, no. We're not hip enough. Cool. Enough. I'm an old guy, Jason. Yeah. I haven't done uh, that either, man. That is a whole like full-time job. If you're going to do video. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah, ours all volunteer based. So we did, we have that. So that's the, the, the pirate monk podcast. We also have a, a, a podcast with a guy who's my Silas, uh, the positive sobriety podcast. It's not Jason. Uh, I'm sorry. It's not Samson okay. uh, specifically. And it's not Pirate Monk podcast is a Christian podcast. Okay. Uh, focused mostly on porn and sex addiction, although not exclusively. Yep. The positive sobriety podcast is not a Christian podcast, but the podcasters are Christians. <laughs> yeah. It's similar to what Dauber's we, doing. He's, Right. Not doesn't have yeah. a Christian podcast, but he makes, you know, doesn't hide the fact, hey, I'm a Jesus follower. Yeah. Trying to yeah, be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We cast a wide net to cover all kinds of addictions, and we talk to all kinds of people, Christian and not Christian. Okay, so the Positive uh, that, Sobriety podcast, when you say sobriety, you're not just talking about porn. Right, right. It could be right. anything. Yeah, yeah. So, so actually, my Silas is a recovering alcoholic, so... Mm who I had the privilege of taking to his first AA meeting because, wow. uh, because he was one of the, the first, uh, he, he was, he was in the first Samson society meeting. It took him a year to uh, come clean the fact that he had a drinking problem. Mm. And today, and today he's a, uh, a, a sobriety coach, very much in demand in Nashville, having uh, a tremendous influence in the town, especially awesome. within the music, the music uh, community. I think that that's pretty common sometimes where you're getting freedom, sobriety in one area, but if the guy's not addressing what's underneath, then he can easily go gravitate towards another medication. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, I'm found that I am omni-addictive. Well, this is good, man. So, guys, you need to check out the Samson Society. What is the website for that? Yeah, samsonsociety.com or samsonsociety.org will get you there. 
All right, then Nate also has the Pirate Monk podcast, which is primarily for Christians, but there's also the Positive Sobriety podcast, which is for anyone, Christian, non-Christian, whatever. What else, man? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's about it. At this point, I'm focused on passing the baton. Mm. I had, you know, I got, I didn't get sober till 42. Because I feel like, I, you know, I burned a couple of decades. I wish I could get back. Uh, I'm already 65. I feel like I lose a few marbles every day. I don't want to hang on to, you know, Samson. I'm not the leader of Samson. Samson, by its own organization, doesn't have a leader. We're a radically egalitarian Christian brotherhood. But mm-hmm. I have a big mouth, and I wrote the first book. So I have visibility. Got it. And I don't. Uh, so my main job at this point, I think, is to, you know, to, to identify and recruit and train and help equip and release, uh, you know, other guys, push other guys into the spotlight and uh, not try uh, to be uh, the man. Because I can't be the man. I like even that. the way I could be the man 10 years ago. No, and I need to hear that. Wisdom, but I'm not as sharp as I used to be. I'm just not. No, there's there's a lot of things you said towards the end that I'm just I, I've taken maybe four pages of notes, Nate, um, just for myself. But yeah, understanding I've got to be careful of that messiah complex with what yeah. I'm just getting into with something that's similar to what you're doing with your groups. We call them climb teams. But then also yeah. the guys that I've got that I'm close with that uh could also say, hey, I'll take some leadership with that to let them and not be the guru of anything. You know, right. he's, yeah. the, he's yeah. the leader. I don't want to be the leader. I want Christ to be the leader. Uh, I want yeah. to be more of like a guide, uh, you know, yeah. like come yeah. with me. But this doesn't mean yeah. that I'm not going to need your help. I'm there too. So if you see some slippage, like, dude, we're roped in, we're harnessed together. Those are That's the imagery we use is nice. of a mountaineer. And you never, you never unclip, man. That's why you'll see this rope, the carabiners behind me. What we've just started is when guys, instead of getting a sobriety chip, as they hit milestones, 30 days, 60, 90, six months, one year, they earn a colored carabiner. And then as they get to that point where they're like, I want to start leading, um, they get, I'm thinking of something like an ice axe or something like that. Symbolic. They just hang it in their office, but it's like, that's good. All right. You're taking guys on the journey with you. And I want to be able to start releasing that. So yeah, it's man, good. I'm learning from you, man. Good stuff. Thank you for sharing all of this. Thanks for being on the Grizz podcast and making time. I know we went over the one hour mark. So, but, uh, anything, <laughs> anything we can pray for, for you, man, before we sign off. Yeah. Pray, pray for, uh, for me, for, for wisdom, for humility, pray for Samson society uh you know we're at a we're at a crucial point we got you know about 15,000 guys now we just we we just a big step we just uh the Samson Society is not uh, a corporation or organization it doesn't have a bank account anything like that it can't own property but we did start a nonprofit a few years ago called Samson House okay whose purpose it is to nurture the 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 health of the Samson Society and its growth. Samson House just last week bought its first house. Wow! Uh, and it's uh, two blocks from where I live in Mount Pleasant. 
and it's a it's a seven bedroom, uh, three bath house on two acres, where uh, we hope to turn it into a place where guys who need uh, you know to be in safe community for a little while, transition time while they're getting their feet back under them, finding their feet in recovery. Uh, they can come there. We, uh, we it's also a, a large lot. We want to make a retreat center there, where we can do intensives, uh, where groups can come for weekends. But this is a whole new uh, kettle of fish for us. Yeah, and uh, it's not even clear yet what we're supposed to do, what we're going to do. Uh, I love so it though. I, I I think a lot of guys wait to have all of the blueprints before they start trying to build. And I think yeah. you need to have an initial plan, that initial vision, but yeah. get moving. And as you're bringing other guys, you know, into it, they may have the details that you're like, oh, I had never thought of that. That's great. Yeah. Let's do it. So, yeah. It's already starting to happen. Yeah. So I just okay. appreciate that. All right. Prayer in that direction. Well, let's pray. And uh, thanks again, man. And uh, I will, Stay in touch with you, man, as I got questions, as I'm trying to grow, grow what I'm doing here, man. And I'm super thankful for you, Nate. And as one brother to another, I'm just proud of you, man. Well, I look forward to having you on the Pirate Monk podcast so I can find out more about you and what you're doing. And uh, I have the distinct sense that you and I are going to be working together, helping each other on down the road. I look forward to it. I would love to, brother. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Nate Larkin. Thank you for creating him. Thank you for saving him. Thank you for being patient, gracious, mm. merciful. Thank you for repentance that he can't say is of himself, but you and also your word and your people that just came in his life, partnered with him, journeyed with him. God, I pray for protection over him, his marriage, his ministry. I pray for guidance. I pray that you would help him to continue to walk humbly, give him spiritual and physical health to be able to do what he needs to do as he goes into this new venture with the Samson house. God, I am just floored at 15,000 guys that are part of this. It's so awesome. We live in such a jacked up world, so much negativity. It's so refreshing to hear uh, some beautiful things that are happening like this, that the gospel is on the move and it's being effective. In Jesus' name, I pray all these things. Amen. Amen. All right, brother. That's genuinely it, man. Thank you. You've been listening to The Grizz Podcast and outreach of Narrow Trail Ministries Incorporated. If this podcast has been helping to guide, encourage, and equip you to live the manly life that God's calling you to live, then please consider partnering with us by giving a tax-exempt donation to our nonprofit ministry. Your financial gift will help us continue to improve and expand our impact around the world. You can make your secure online donation at thegrizpodcast.com. Now, it's time to take what you've learned and chew on it. And then you need to step up, man up, and go live it out. Grizzin, you know what I'm saying. <laughs>